go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadows. You win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. Almighty fortress, you go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadows. You win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. take a seat. Happy New Year. I'm so excited to be here worshiping with you all this morning. A special shout out and welcome to my parents who are visiting this Sunday. And if you are also, oh yes, give them a round of applause. <laughs> if you are also new to PBC today or in the last few weeks, we want to give a special welcome to you as well. Um, we actually have our Discover PBC lunch coming up next week. So if you are new and want to get connected or meet some of our pastors and elders, that is going to be after second service next week. You can come and meet us. Um, so with a new year, there's a lot of stuff happening in the church. And so we have a lot of exciting things happening today and also coming up this month. So the first thing is that um, normally our text to pray, we are not going to be praying at the end of the service, but we will still want you to send your texts in because we are going to um, pray for them all the, during the week. And then we're also going to pray at the elder and pastor's retreat this weekend. So there are different ways you can send in your prayers or also your praise reports. Um, you have a card in the back of the chair in front of you. You can text the number in the bulletin. You can um, get a card in the foyer and fill that out. And you can also go to pbc.org pray. Um, So those are all the ways that you can let us know what we can be praying um, this week for you, and we'd love to do that. Let's see. What else is coming up in January is our men's retreat. That is going to be January 21st through the 23rd, and it's going to be at Mount Hermon. If you've never been there, it's a really nice um, retreat center near Santa Cruz. And so if you need more information or if you want to register, you can find that information in the bulletin. 
Also this month, we're hosting the Heart and Home um, women who are unhoused. We're going to have them staying at PBC. And the biggest need with that is that we would love to be able to provide dinner for them each night. And so if you would like to sign up to provide one of the meals, you can find the information in the bulletin. And there's a really easy way to kind of help out and also just really bless the women that are going to be staying with us um, through the month of January. Okay, also next week, we are starting our new uh, sermon series in Ephesians, and we're calling it Ephesians, the Mystery of Christ. And so Ephesians is a long book, so I'm assuming we will be um, studying it for a bit, but it's also all about how our identity is in Christ, and it focuses on who Christ is and how we live into that and how we can... um, live out having our identity in Christ. So it's one of my favorite books, and so I'm really excited for next week to jump into that. Now, this week we are hearing from Scott Grant, um, but he is actually not here. I don't know if you've noticed, but he um, is just an abundance of caution. He was potentially exposed to COVID, and so just like last year when Eric videoed and I was hosting this week, Scott videoed and I'm hosting again, so I don't know what that's about, but it's okay. Um, He just videoed his sermon, and so we're going to hear it um, through the video form. So he is um, feeling well, and so that's a big blessing, but we just wanted to be very cautious about that. So that's why he's not here today. Now today we also have another special thing going on, which is what we call life together. And so that's just a moment where we can all come together and share what the Lord has been doing in our lives. And so we have a prompt for you to be thinking about, and it's how has the Lord been your shepherd. Scott is going to share in Psalm 23 today. Um, He has a really powerful message. And then afterwards, Jerry Yan, our elder, is going to come up and he's going to have a microphone and an opportunity for you to come up and share with us how the Lord has been your shepherd. So it's a really sweet time to just be together and share with one another how the Lord's working in our lives because he is at work. And so we want to celebrate that together. So with that, I'm going to welcome the band back up and you can rise for the next song. Praise the hallelujah In the presence of my enemies I raise a hallelujah Louder than the unbelief I raise a hallelujah Hallelujah Heaven comes to fight for me
There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. Nothing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence, Lord. I've tasted and seen. Sweetest of loves When my heart becomes free And my shame is undone Your presence, Lord Holy Spirit, you are welcome here Come Fill the atmosphere Your glory 
Amen. Well, thank you so much for singing with us. You can go ahead and have a seat as we... wish I was with you this morning, but I'm remote, but in the most powerful sense, I am with you, and God is with you, and the Word of God is going to be coming to you this morning from Psalm 23. In the summers of 1992 and 1993, I spent parts of those summers in a gypsy village in Bulgaria. I was teaching the scriptures there. It was quite an extraordinary experience. And I noticed that each day this shepherd would come by to the different uh, houses in the village and pick up the sheep from the pens and take them out to pasture each day. This was quite fascinating to me. I had never seen anything like this growing up in America, of course. And so uh, I decided that I wanted to get a photo of this shepherd. So one morning I got up early and staked out my spot. And sure enough, the shepherd came by with his sheep and I snapped this photo. Now, ever since I've been a pastor at Peninsula Bible Church, this photo has hung in my study, and it reminds me of my calling. God has called me to be a shepherd in this place, and so I get inspired every once in a while when I look up at that photo, which is right above my desk. But a few weeks ago, as I was studying Psalm 23, I began to look at that photo in a different way, because Psalm 23 famously begins The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And so I began to be inspired by the photo, looking at it and recognizing, ah, yes, I'm called to be a shepherd, of course, but first of all, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, Psalm 23 is an intensely personal psalm. It's authored by David, and he uses first-person pronouns such as I a staggering 17 times in a mere six verses. This is an intensely personal experience for David. He is writing about his relationship with the Lord. But he writes and is disseminated and is published in the scriptures for our sakes 
So David writes of his own experience, and the Lord wants it to make wants it to wants us to make it our experience so that this becomes intensely personal for us as well. Therefore, make it yours. Make Psalm 23 yours. This has been beloved through the ages, and we have the opportunity this morning to make it ours. Now, David uses three different images that were connected with kings in his day. He uses the image of a shepherd, he uses the image of a host, and he uses the image of a warrior. Kings were all three of these things. And so David uses these very uh, poetic images for us to connect with so that we can understand that the Lord is our shepherd, the Lord is our host, the Lord is our warrior. Now, later we're going to have a time this morning in which you can answer the question for yourselves, how has the Lord been your shepherd? So you might be thinking about that, and uh, after the sermon, we're going to have a time of what we call Life Together, where we can share our own personal experiences with the Lord. So I give you, at the, beginning of a, uh, at the beginning of a new year, Psalm 23, and Psalm 23 gives you hope. Let's look at it. Psalm 23, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And as I've said several times in the last few months, the word that is translated here, want, these days would be better translated lack. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. Now it's okay to want. Biblically, it's quite proper to want many things. Jesus wanted and he wanted intensely. He said, he said to his disciples, I have earnestly desired to share this Passover with you. He wanted deeply and earnestly and intensely to share the Passover with his disciples, and he did. So if the Lord is my shepherd, I shall want, but I shall not lack, which is an amazing statement when you think about it. The Lord is my shepherd, therefore I shall not lack. Much of advertising is based on the premise that you can be convinced that you lack and that if you buy a particular product, you will lack no more. Much of the world's problems are oriented around this whole idea of lack. People believe they lack, therefore they have to make up for that lack, often in destructive ways. Can you imagine what the world would look like if it were populated by people who believe that the Lord was their shepherd and that therefore they did not lack? So if we do not lack, then we have what we need. Well, what do we need? We need to know God and to follow Jesus. That's what we need, and the Lord gives us everything that we need so that we can do that, so that we can know God and follow Jesus. You shall not lack. Can you believe it? We have to read on. First of all, we see that the Lord as a shepherd nourishes us and refreshes us. Psalm 23, verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside, beside still waters. He restores my soul. Now, if a sheep lies down in green pastures, that means it has had its fill. 
The, the, the pastures are green. There's food all around. There's an abundance of food. And the sheep has had all it has wanted. And now it lies down. The shepherd is not forcing the sheep to lie down. The sheep wants to lie down because it has had all that it needs to eat. Now, a sheep not only needs food, a sheep needs water. But if the water is a raging torrent, the sheep cannot benefit from that water. In fact, if it tries to take a drink, it might be injured or worse. So what does the shepherd do? The shepherd leads the sheep to still waters where it can take a drink. He restores my soul. Now, a sheep doesn't have a soul, but the word soul can also be translated life. And so that's how it should be translated here as it concerns the experience of the sheep. The sheep eats, the sheep drinks, and its life is restored. But humans have souls. We not only need food and water, we need spiritual food, we need spiritual water. We are hungry and thirsty for something more than simply food and water. So the divine shepherd then provides for us in this way also. He restores our souls. He gives us spiritual food. He gives us spiritual drink in order to restore our souls. How does he do that? He does it not least through his word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. When we partake of the word of God, we are nourished. We are refreshed. The Lord restores our souls. The Lord feeds us. The Lord refreshes us. And he does it not least through Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is a lush green pasture in a wide open meadow. Psalm 23 is a clear crystal pool fed by a cool mountain stream. Eat from it. Drink from it. Psalm 23 can restore your soul. The Lord can restore your soul by giving you Psalm 23. And he's given you Psalm 23 this morning. David Hansen is a pastor, and he tells the story of going to a nursing home and visiting a particular individual for several years. But one day when he showed up, the individual, the man, had had a stroke, and he didn't know where he was, he didn't know his name, he didn't know that he was strapped to a wheelchair. And David Hansen, the pastor, tells this story of what happened when he visited the man on this particular day. So I asked him if I could read the Bible to him. I was surprised when he said cogently, yes, please do. I began reading Psalm 23 slowly. The Lord is my shepherd. Pause. He, he, he lifted his head slightly. He opened his mouth. I shall not want, he replied clearly. I smiled and continued. He makes me lie down. Pause. I'd seen this kind of thing before. In green pastures came the response. We continued through the psalm. I prompted him with a line, and he gave me the next one. Near the end, when I said, surely goodness and mercy, he rattled off the rest before I could interrupt him. Shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We haven't quite gotten to those verses yet. When we finished, 
We both smiled, and our eyes were not dry. He still didn't know who I was, and he hadn't remembered his name, but in a profound sense, he'd re-found he'd re himself by using a portion of the Word of God he'd memorized as a child and cherished his whole life, we'd skipped around the damaged cells and just maybe we found his soul. Psalm 23 can restore your soul. Next, we find out that the divine shepherd leads us. Verse 3. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, paths of righteousness for a sheep are nothing more than straight paths. The shepherd leads the sheep in straight paths so that the sheep does not stumble. But for humans, paths of righteousness have a moral quality to them so that the divine shepherd leads us in those particular paths. He leads us in just the right ways to just the right places at just the right times. Have you ever had that experience? Have you ever recognized that you got someplace and realized that the Lord has been leading you all along? Maybe you didn't realize at the time, but that's what's been happening. That's what the Lord has been doing. And he does this for his name's sake because his reputation is at stake. So that if other people look on and see that the Lord leads his people in paths of righteousness, and this is a beneficial leading, perhaps others will take notice and want to follow as well. Perhaps they also will want the Lord as their shepherd. Now, many people who come to the Lord at, the, at an early age end up sadly walking away from the Lord. And for many of them, it begins with a relationship, uh, a relationship that is not centered on Christ. And they don't think they are walking away from the Lord at the time, but that's what's happening. Surely, inch by inch, they get to the point where at some point they recognize that they don't believe anymore if they ever believed in the first place. Now, when I was about 21, 22, 23 years old, I got involved in two different relationships, one after the other, that were not centered on Christ. And I don't think I realized it at the time, but I think in some ways I was moving away from the Lord. Certainly, I was glorifying these particular relationships and honoring them more than I was honoring the Lord. But in each case, the woman broke up with me, and I was absolutely crushed at the time, but in retrospect, I recognized that the Lord was leading me. The Lord was leading me away. The Lord was leading me back to paths of righteousness. And so in the end, I was appreciative. The Lord was leading me in paths of righteousness. He wouldn't let me go out the, the side door, so to speak. He, I almost had the sense that he was telling me, you know, if you're going to lead me, Scott, you're going to go out the front door. That didn't happen. He led me in paths of righteousness. So next we find out that the divine shepherd protects us. Verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now the valley of the shadow of death for a sheep is a steep ravine, it's a dark valley, he has trouble seeing, and he is particularly vulnerable to predators. But the Lord protects him, protects the sheep with his rod. 
uh, warding off uh, predators, where the, the sheep would be vulnerable to predators. Then the, the shepherd recognizes this and wards off the predators with his rod. And he also uh, leads the sheep uh, away from danger with his staff. Now that's what the Lord does for the sheep. So for us, uh, the valley of the shadow of death is a place of darkness, a place where nothing seems to make sense, a place where we might even question the Lord. What's he doing? Does he really exist? Does he love me? Is he powerful? Is he not? All these kinds of questions might be assaulting us. And in such a place, the evil one wants us to believe that we lack and we might be vulnerable to his impressions believing that we lack. And the evil one wants us to make up for that lack on our own terms instead of waiting for the Lord. But the Lord protects us. The Lord is with us, with his rod, with his staff. He protects us and he leads us. I will fear no evil because you are with me. I will fear no evil evil because you are with me. That means that when we end up in a place of darkness, we need not fear. The Lord is there. The Lord is with us to comfort us. Dallas Willard says this, for those who believe in the Lord and the Lord is their shepherd, they are in a position to say this, let the worst happen. Let the worst happen, and God and I will go together in the abundance of his being. My goodness. Really? Let the worst happen, and God and I will go together in the abundance of his being? It's possible. So, the Lord is our shepherd. Now, when you get to the Gospels, you recognize that Jesus declares himself to be the shepherd. He says in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. So he is the shepherd who cares for us, the sheep. He fulfills everything that is said of the divine shepherd in Psalm 23. Now, in Mark chapter 6, uh, Jesus goes out into this desolate place and this large crowd follows him, but the crowd hasn't been fed. And then uh, the crowd is hungry. And then Mark tells us this in Mark 6, 39. Then Jesus commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. Does that sound familiar? Green grass? He makes me lie down in green pastures? Now Jesus, what does he do? He commands them all to sit down on the green grass. And what does he do then? He feeds them miraculously with the loaves and the fish, with plenty left over. But it gets more interesting than that. In fact, it's more interesting than that earlier in the story. Because Mark tells us this in Mark chapter 6, verse 34. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd. Jesus sees the crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and, and he began to teach them many things. They're sheep. They have no shepherd. He's the divine shepherd. What does he do? Eventually he feeds their stomachs, but before he does that, because he has compassion on them, he feeds their souls. With his word, 
He is the divine shepherd who has compassion on us, the sheep. He feeds us with his word in the Gospels. And our souls are restored. Indeed, he restores my soul. Next, we see that the Lord is our host. Verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now, kings hosted people at their table. And if you were invited to the king's table, this was a tremendous honor. When you shared a meal with somebody in those days, it was considered an honor. It was, a, it was considered a sign of special friendship. And if you got an invitation to the king's table, oh my goodness, that was an over-the-top honor for, the, for you to be able to dine with the king. And here we see that the, much preparation is involved. You prepare a table uh, for me. And it's a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And so the enemies for us, of course, are Satan and his demons. And all they can do as we dine with the Lord, so to speak, is look on. They can't do anything to stop it. And we feast with the Lord. And there's this great table that he prepares for us. And then uh, he anoints our heads with oil. This was a sign of special friendship. It seems weird to us. Oil dripping down the hair, dripping down the face, but that's what they did when they were showing special friendship. It was a sign of intimacy. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. I'm at the king's table, for crying out loud, and there's this feast before me. My cup overflows. This, by the way, is the opposite of lacking. I shall not lack. Yes, but what happens here? My cup overflows. I have what I need. I have more than what I need. I have an abundance. My cup overflows. Now, what's on the menu? What is the king serving us? It's love. It's forgiveness. It's fellowship. It's intimacy. And so many other things. It's an awesome feast that the Lord has prepared for us. He brought me to his banqueting table and his banner over me is love. Have you ever had the experience of going to a party, you've, maybe you've received an invitation to the party and you go to the party and recognize that the, whoever has uh, organized this party has prepared everything for you. And uh, you eat at the table and there's this, this friendship, there's this fellowship, there's this intimacy and there's this awesome time And it's all because of the host has prepared everything for you, has thought through everything in advance. Now, often around Christmas time, I think about my mother. My mother died 31 years ago of cancer at the age of 61, but she was the consummate host. And uh, we have a tradition in our family to celebrate the Christmas meal on Christmas Eve. And it's uh, a meal that includes the extended family. In some years, it's as many as 30 people or so. And it rotates among different uh, members of our family these days. But back in the day, my mom always hosted the party, and she thought of everything. I mean, there were multiple delectable and innovative courses. Uh, the press, the, the tablecloths were pressed. There were porcelain place cards with your name written on them, and strategic seating assignments because it's important to be placed in the right place in order for the family to love each other and get along. My mother thought of everything. 
And when you receive the invitation, and you realize this over the years, that you were going to go to a place and you were going to feast, and you knew you were loved. You were invited, you were loved, and when you left, boy, you had your fill, and you had a great time, all because my mother was the consummate host who prepared the table. It is the Lord who prepares the table for us, and it is a feast. Jesus was a host, was he not? He's always sharing meals in the Gospels, especially he's sharing meals with outcasts. In Luke chapter 15, he's dining with sinners, and he's dining with tax collectors. He's dining with the outcasts, and the enemies of the outcasts, the Pharisees and the scribes, take umbrage. What does Jesus do at that point? He tells his most famous story, the parable of the prodigal son, in the presence of the scribes and the Pharisees, who can do nothing but watch and marvel. Indeed, he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Indeed, my cup overflows. Finally, we see that the Lord is a warrior, but with a strange twist. Look at verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, the word that is translated mercy here would be better translated along the lines of loyal love or steadfast love. It's this precious Hebrew word called hesed. And so that's how I would prefer to translate it, something along the lines of loyal love. And the word translated follow would probably be better translated pursue. So this is what warriors did. They pursued their enemies. This is what kings did. They pursued their enemies. But what are the weapons here? The weapons are loyal love. The weapons are goodness and loyal love. He pursues me with goodness and loyal love. It is the Lord who is pursuing us. It could be said that at one point we were enemies of God. But even then, what's he doing? He's pursuing us. With what? What are his weapons? Goodness and loyal love. He's pursuing us with goodness and loyal love. And what happens then? What does he do? He defeats our suspicions and he wins us over with his goodness, with his loyal love. Do you ever have the sense that you're being chased? I know a lot of people feel that they're running from something. Sometimes they can't name it. Maybe it's a person, but maybe it's a thing. Maybe it's an entity. They don't really understand it, but they have the, the feeling they're running from something. Have you ever had nightmares in which you were chased? I know I have. I remember one very vivid nightmare in which I was being chased by demonic creatures and one of them grabbed my leg and then I finally woke up. But look behind you. What do you see? Can you see the Lord? Can you see the Lord pursuing you with his goodness and with his loyal love? And if the Lord is chasing after you with his goodness and loyal love, it doesn't matter who else is chasing after you. 
And if he, if goodness and mercy is going to, are going to pursue us all the days of our lives, there is not going to be one single day when you cannot look back and see that the Lord is chasing after you with his goodness and loyal love. And that's the truth. Simon Tugwell says this, So long as we imagine it is we who have to look for God, we must often lose heart. But it is the other way about. He is looking for us. He is pursuing us. Jesus is the divine warrior. What are his weapons? Very unusual. Wood and nails. Nails that have fixed his body to that wood. That's how he fights the war. He fights the war with love. He fights the war with goodness and loyal love. And he chases after us. He pursues us with goodness and loyal love. And if you ever doubt the goodness or the loyal love of the Lord, all you have to do is look behind you. Say, 2,000 years to a certain ugly hill outside Jerusalem to a cross inserted into that hill and to a man who is hanging there. And there you will see it. And it is pursuing you right to this day. The Lord's goodness and loyal love. Indeed, goodness and loyal love will pursue me all the days of my life. Then David talks about the house of the Lord. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, the house of the Lord in in David's day was the tabernacle. That's where the Lord dwelt. That was this movable tent and later later to be replaced by the fixed temple. And again, that's where the Lord dwelt. And how can David say that I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever? Well, David has, a, has an affinity for the house of the Lord. Wherever he is, he wants to dwell in the house of the Lord. And he seems to have broken through to an understanding of what the temple was all about. That it was a symbol. That it was a symbol of God's presence. And that ultimately it was going to be replaced. Because the Spirit takes up residence in all those who believe in Jesus. And the Spirit takes up residence in the church among all those who believe in Jesus. So the Spirit now is with us. The house of the Lord is here. We are the house of the Lord. Indeed, we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever if we believe in Jesus. It's going to continue all the way into the new creation. And by the time you get to the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation describes the new creation as a temple. We will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. The Lord is my host, my cup overflows. The Lord is my warrior. Surely goodness and loyal love will follow me all the days of my life. And what? And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a song. Make it yours. Now, I have an assignment for you this week. It goes like this. I want you to spend 30 minutes total, five minutes each day, Monday through Saturday with Psalm 23. 
Monday, tomorrow, spend five minutes with Psalm 23. Read through it once, and then read through, then spend five minutes with verse one. Read through verse one multiple times, meditate on it, pray through it, then you're through after five minutes with day one, Monday. Move on to Tuesday, day two. Read through the entire psalm, and then spend five minutes with verse two. Read it multiple times, pray through it, meditate on it. Then move on to day three, day four, day five, doing the same thing until you get to day six. Then read the entire psalm, and then spend five minutes with verse six, reading it multiple times, praying through it, meditating on it, and then you're done. That's a way to make Psalm 23 yours. And do that this week and see if that doesn't give you a new perspective for the new year.